coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me today is my co-host, Curtis. And today on the show, we are going back in time to bring back a feature that we we actually used to do quite a bit back in the early days of this podcast. I'm talking well before we partnered with Overtime Media, and actually well before we were even on Apple Podcasts. I'm talking back in the days when we were exclusively on Dog Sports Radio before Vsporto went up in flames. Those of you who have been around from the beginning, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, So I guess that actually that was only like five or six years ago, but it's one of those things that just seems so long ago, even though it really isn't necessarily all that long ago. But anyway, we used to love to play Take Your Pick on this podcast where I very simply give Curtis two options to choose from and he takes his pick between the two. Uh, It's a simple concept, but it's still fun, it's still entertaining, and if there ever was a time to bring it back, well, now is clearly that time with news still relatively slow on the sports front, so yeah, let's throw it back and and have some fun today. Uh, First though, I do want to again thank all of you who have rated and reviewed our show on Apple Podcast over the past week or so, and we we appreciate everyone out there who supports us in any way, but uh. We also really uh, want to give particular shout-outs to the listeners who went above and beyond and not only rated the show, but also took the time to give us a quick review as well. So a big thank you to uh, Carolina Dog, Jay Pilgrim, BZJCCOA, EZE4747, I'm guessing he's a David Pollock fan, and uh, you're going to love this one, GGJDDGJ. I think I wrote that down right, uh, but thank you guys all for taking that extra step and uh, actually writing a, a review on Apple Podcasts as well. We really, really do appreciate that, and, and obviously everyone who's already done so in the past, and even the people who, who are just giving us a, a, a quick rating that also is really helpful as well. Right now, we are at 185 ratings on Apple Podcasts. I know that really means nothing to you, but uh, for uh, a podcast like ours who continues to try to grow and, wanna, and that wants to continue to bring you guys... Uh, our content. It's really important and we really appreciate all that. Um, so 185 is great, but we do need as many as possible. And we'd love to get that number to uh, to 200. It would be great. And with your help, I think that's something that hopefully maybe we can do. Uh, so if you like the show, rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts is an easy, easy way to help us out. I know a lot of you listen to us on various other platforms and that's totally awesome. We love all of our listeners, whether you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or not. We always uh, talk about ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts because that's that's where the majority of our listeners come from, and Apple Podcasts also makes it easy to rate and review. But whatever platform you do find us on, if they have a rating and review option, um, that would that would be great. And if not, that's no problem. I mean, really, just it could be as simple as just uh, telling your friends, your family about the show, coworkers, and just helping us spread the word. Uh, any and all help is greatly appreciated. We love you guys, and uh, like we always say, we there's no doubt about it. We would not have this show. If it was not for you guys, I mean, seriously, this this podcast would have been dead in the water multiple different times over the past five or six years as we've gone through different partnerships and the subscription side that we, that we hated to have to do. But you guys have supported us through it all. So seriously, thank you guys for everything. But anyway, let's get rolling and let's 
talk some football. You guys know uh, I've maintained, Curtis, I think you've been with me on this, but we've maintained from the very beginning that we're going to have a 2020 college football season, right, Kurt? Are you, are you in this, on the same page with me there? Yeah, I've always thought we would. Yeah, I think you and I have kind of been in alignment in that one respect. And so in some way, shape, or form, I think we're going to have college football. And as we get closer and closer this summer and the coronavirus metrics continue to fall around the country, and uh, of course you're going to have the accompanying reopening of various states, which is already well into happening right now, and it's looking more and more likely like there's going to be a college football season. I stand by that. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but there's going to be a college football season. Uh, I mean, think about just within the past week, we saw NASCAR, the PGA, the Bundesliga, the German Soccer League all start back over the past week. It looks like the NBA is getting closer and closer to, to at least there's more optimism around the NBA. I guess I would say baseball. It seems like they're going to be allowed to play baseball. It's just a matter of can they come to some sort of agreement with, between the players and owners and who knows how, how that'll work out. But that's not really a coronavirus. I guess it's coronavirus related, but most states are saying these teams can play. So while nothing is given, the possibilities are looking better and better with each passing day. And and we could potentially, I don't know how many of you have heard about this, but we could potentially take a huge leap forward on the path back to college football tomorrow on Wednesday. Uh, as the NCAA, have you heard about this? They're going to be voting on whether to lift the ban? Yeah, I did hear that. I knew it was coming down Wednesday, but I believe the SEC votes themselves on Friday. On Friday, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's I'm pretty sure it's Friday. So yeah, I know the NCAA, if you guys haven't heard this, I know a lot of you probably have, but in case you haven't, the NCAA, they're gonna be voting on whether to lift the ban that they had on on it was on on campus athletic activities. Basically, you couldn't have any players on campus doing anything. That's why they were doing the video conferencing, all that kind of stuff. But if they lift that ban, which I think right now the expectation is fully that yes, that's gonna happen, it would then pave the way for, as you were saying, Kurt, individual conferences like the SEC to take their own votes, which, I, which again, I think the SEC is voting on Friday after this vote, to begin potentially allowing players to return to campus for workouts on what will probably be a voluntary basis. It could even be a mandatory team activity basis. It just depends on what individual conferences decide to do, uh, which but I think they'll probably say voluntary right now if I had to guess because you still have a situation where not every state is as open as other states, so I think they're probably going to have to make it voluntary, but we'll see how that goes. Different conferences will probably do it differently. So, Again, a 2020 college football season is looking more and more likely, but, and to me personally, this is a huge but. It is still very much up in the air as to whether we are going to see full stadiums or really any fans at all in college football stadiums come this fall if the season were to begin on time. So, Curtis, the first choice I'm going to give you in this throwback take your pick episode is this, pretty simple. Would you rather have a full season starting on time in the fall with no fans allowed in the stadium, or would you rather have a full season starting in January with fans allowed to attend games? We'll say full stadiums. I'm gonna I'm gonna say start on time because my thing is is um, if you start in January, I think it's, you might see players sit out the season because it's gonna start affecting drafts and everything I think like you that. Will have that happen, yeah. And I think that's why I go because I don't don't really know what players would kind of stay around thinking, all right, I don't have time. If I get injured, I don't have time to recuperate. And I could even, if depending on when you get injured, you could miss the entire NFL season next year, which puts you completely even farther behind. Yeah, it's it, you're exactly right about that. I think that's, that's something you have to consider. I will say, though, I think 
with when you're talking about like what players might sit out that season, they want to get ready for the NFL draft. Because typically, think about it: like most players, they declare and usually by early mid January uh, in terms of whether they're going to go pro or not. But those we're talking about upper class, like draft eligible players. So it's not going to affect necessarily all your best players. It's going to affect your best upper class when you are draft eligible, your juniors and seniors. That's that's who I guess it would be. Yeah, I mean those those guys are to be the ones that are going to be affected by it. So like a guy like George Pickens. Like he's gonna he'd be playing um, because he's not draft eligible right now. But like I say, if, let's say if it was last year, a guy like or let's say like Jamie Newman, right? J- Jamie Newman, if we played in the spring, might never suit up for Georgia. Might never because he's probably going to declare. Because right now there's some drafts out, or at least mock early early mock drafts saying he's a potential first round pick. We'll see. I think we don't get too ahead of ourselves there. But if that's the case, he might just decide to go go to the NFL. So I think you have to consider that. I think that's true. And also I would say another downside to starting in January is, okay, so when is the season in like mid to late March and you turn right back around four or five months later, have another season. I mean, do you, do you not have spring practice again? Like, like that's, there's a lot of complicated, like what does it do to the recruiting calendar? There's a lot of complications there. I, I, so I get what you're saying, but here's, I, I, here's what I will say too. Like, I don't think there's a perfect answer. I think both options, there are some serious drawbacks to both options. Um, but here's where, what I would say. I think fall to me is college football. Like there's no other sport that is as intimately associated with a specific time of year as college football is associated with the fall. Th- that's just the case. Um, and I, I think you also, and like to me, if you want to say play college football in the fall, cause that's when football is played. I, I get that. And I, I am so, um, sympathetic to that argument because yes, fall is college football season, but I would also say, like, the fans and the pride, the passion, the pageantry, and let's be real, the lunacy, the, like, the literal fanaticism that they bring to the table, I think, honestly, that's, to me at least, just as big a part of college football as the fact that it's played in the fall. So, I, I mean, think about, like, for fans, it's so personal for fans. Like, on some level, and you can say the same about other sports on some level, like the Red Sox in Boston, uh, it's very personal for them. The Cowboys in Texas, the Lakers maybe out in L.A., but, but it's nowhere near, near the same degree. Like when it comes to college sports and college football, especially most fans have a connection of some sort to that team, that college, that university beyond just the fact that, oh yeah, I live in that state or, oh yeah, I liked them when I was a kid because they were really good when I was a kid or they were on TV all the time or whatever it might be, or I liked their uniforms or whatever it was. I like my favorite player was on that team. There's different reasons why people become fans. But for a lot of us, especially in the college game, it's about being a part of something. It's something that we have invested in, something that, something that we represent. Like, it's, it's not... To me, it's just not like pro sports. This is one of the big reasons why I'm more of a college guy than a pro guy. Like the Falcons, for instance, it's kind of like where, cool, yeah, I'm, I'm from Georgia. I like football, so I'm a Falcons fan. Sure, yeah. but And I want the Falcons to win, but I don't feel anywhere near the connection with the Falcons as I do for the University of Georgia because there's just so much more to it than that. The connection is just so much deeper. It's a, it's a piece of us. It's a, it's a, it, for a lot of us, it's a huge piece of who we are. And so to me – to not have fans in the stands for college football is borderline blasphemous. Like it's blasphemy to me. Um, I'm saying that I do understand like the public safety component of this, and I'm not trying to ask anyone getting sick. Obviously, so well, here's I- the thing too, though. I mean, they're more afraid of like the virus and the cold weather, and that's when flu yeah. season really starts. So I think I don't. I think it's more unrealistic to actually expect fans there in January than you would when it's hot. I actually agree with that argument. Like when people were first posing this idea, like, hey, we're going to play in the spring. I'm like, well, you're not actually saying let's play in the spring. You're saying let's finish in the spring. You're saying let's start in the middle of winter. 
That's that's what people are saying, which is exactly when flu season is. So I've never quite gotten that that argument, but that's what people are saying. It's like, well, you know, we're not going to be close enough. Well, we're not going to be far enough removed from the outbreak to have fans in the stadium and then like all that. Like we're not going to be not every state's going to be far enough in the reopening process to have fans in the in the stadiums and all that kind of thing. So we'll just put if we push if we just push it off, then we'll be further removed and we can have fans in the stadium. But I, I agree with you, Kurt. Like what? So you're saying in the middle of the flu season when there's when there's supposed to be this dreaded second wave, that's when we're going to have fans in the stadium. So I don't know. Um, I I'm very I, yeah I, I agree with you, Kurt. Actually, I think there's a better chance to have fans in the stadium. Like to me, I think the best option actually be to push the season up. Think about it, right? Because uh, look, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a. I mean, doctor. some schools are pushing school up. Ex- they're exactly. I think. Oh, I think South Carolina. I saw. Uh, was one no, of them. No, Notre Dame. South Carolina is ending it early. Well, yeah, that's yeah, that's what I meant. So what's Notre Dame? Do? I, I know South Carolina is ending it early. They're, they're, South Notre Carolina Dame's trying to end starting their thinking. school two weeks early. Right. I think South Carolina is cutting out fall break. Right. To be able to still get the same yeah, time. Yeah, they're in. cutting out fall break while um. They're, um, the other schools will just finish. Like once Thanksgiving hits, you'd already have finished finals and everything. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, like honestly, I, like a lot of the, the studies out there and, all, and this is actually coming from medical scientists and medical doctors. This, these are people who are supposed to be experts, right? They're saying that like the, obviously the coronavirus does not seem to spread as well, as efficiently, as effectively in well, not only just warm weather, but outdoors in general, right? So to me, if it doesn't spread as well outdoors as it does inside, and it doesn't, and it's not as effective in transmission when it's warmer, that seems to be the case, then why don't we just move the season up so we get the entire season in, let's say, end it by, by Thanksgiving, right? Like to me, that, now that's not going to happen because we have so many states that aren't even close to reopening yet. But to, to, I, in terms of fan safety, I think that would be the safest thing for fans. But if people are saying, you can have a full season in January that starts in January with fans, and you, you can have fans all in the stadium. I actually would pro- – I mean, God, I don't know. That, that, that option would be so weird because you definitely – you're right. We would not have the best players. But selfishly, I I, I would be – I would be willing to sacrifice if – if, if the choice was sacrificing being able to go to games and having fans in the stadium versus sacrificing some of the best players, the upperclassmen, I would probably sacrifice the upperclassmen. Be, and that's uh, that's being really selfish, but I just want to be able to go to the games and like just watching. Like, Kirk, can you imagine? Did you watch any of the Bundesliga just to like just for like curiosity's sake with no fans in the, in the stands? No, because I don't believe soccer is a sport. Oh, whoa, oh, oh, I think we might have some soccer fans out there, man. Actually, I don't know. Do we have any? I soccer mean, everyone fans has their league? everyone has their opinions. That's true. I, I was never a soccer guy either. I I, I don't want to like uh, kill anyone for liking soccer. That's I just can't. Thing. I just can't watch it. I mean, I would. I, I, I actually sat down and watched NASCAR, even though I don't like it. I have legitimately tried to watch soccer. Actually, I was in a um, couple times when they've had the uh, the World Cup. I was in Mexico it was in, in Cabo, and I mean, in Mexico it's a big deal. It's like they're not like most of the world. It's their national sport outside the United States. And so everyone's so into it there. So I, you know, I try to go up and watch it, really try to get into it. I'm sitting there watching, like, I'm like, I don't, I just, it's not for me. It's not for me. Uh, and that doesn't mean it can't be for someone else. It's just not for me. I'm with you. Um, but I don't know. Now I even lost, what was I saying? I even lost my, I've lost my train of thought. Without fans. Oh yeah. So like, like to me, I would like, oh yeah, the Bundesliga. There we go. I, 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 I don't watch soccer either, but I turned on the Bundesliga just to see what it would be like without fans. And like, it, it was weird, man. Like, it, like it was just weird. It's just, I, you can hear like everything the players are saying, the coaches, like it's just, and, and for college football, again, a big part of college football for me, it's just me, is, is the, the, the environment, the pageantry, all the passion, all of that stuff, the bands, all of it. 
And uh, without having that, I mean, I would definitely – like obviously I would take having college football with no fans over not having college football at all. Like if the alternative is we just can't have it at all, then okay, give me college football with no fans. I'll, I'll take it and I'll live with it. I, I get that. But, man, I think it, – it's going like to like a big part. Like I look forward to these 13 fall Saturdays more than anything on earth. Like I, I wait all year for this. Like it's the biggest part of my life. I, I, I mean, I just, it is. And I know it's not the case for everyone, but it is for me. And so again, this is just me selfishly, but if you're asking me, like I God, it would like, man, that would, again, having football is better than no football, but it would just be, it would not be the same in my opinion to not have it with fans. So I would probably start January uh, with fans even if that means we couldn't have some of the better upperclassmen involved, which I'm, that would also be weird, but I think it's going to be weird no matter what. So I would go with the one that just works best for me, I guess. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to the next one here. Uh, with nothing going on on the field of play right now, recruiting has been getting a lot of play over the past few months, even more than it normally does this time of year. Uh, I laid out my top 10 most wanted last week and two guys that were inside the top five. On that list, we're running back Donovan Edwards out of Michigan and offensive lineman Amarius Mims. I think I called him Amarius. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Amarius. I got that wrong. Amarius Mims. Um, those guys are both in the top five. So big-time recruits out there, Kurt. So take your pick, man. Which of these two, Donovan Edwards or Amarius Mims, is more important for us to land in the 2021 class? Maybe not necessarily the best player, but more important for us to land in this 2021 class. Um, I'm going to go Donovan Edwards because I think we really have to get an explosive running back to be a difference maker because um, you just don't <clears throat> don't know depth-wise how it's going to be after this year with Zeus and uh, James Cook. Yeah, let me ask you this question. I've kind of I've alluded to this before on the show over the past couple months, but let me ask you, like, do you think we have uh, a Nick Chubb, a Sonny Michelle, a DeAndre Swift caliber running back on campus right now? I don't think we do. If, if if I told you that Zamir White was going to be the, the Zamir White of old before the knee injuries, would you would that change your answer? Yeah, it would. Yes, I agree. I think if and I've said that before. If Zeus is back to like, anywhere, like even ninety ish percent, I think the answer is yes. We have a back like that on campus. But with the knee injuries, it's, and he wasn't the same last year. Let's just be real. Like we've talked about this before. Chubb wasn't the same when he came back in two thousand sixteen. He was a year later, or closer to it, a year later. Uh, and then two years later, he was back to the old and it may be better than ever. And so maybe we'll see that from Zamir. I'm, I'm hoping to God, because I love the guy. I think, I mean, what, he was so good before the injuries. Uh, and he was good last year, too. Uh, just wasn't the same caliber back from what I saw. Uh, so I don't know. Like it, And I just don't know that we can operate under the assumption that he will get back there. I think there's a good chance he can, but we don't know that for sure. So without knowing that, I have to say, like, there's some doubt on my end because of that fact that – as to whether or not we have like the next great Georgia running back on campus. I think Kendall Milton has a chance to be that. I'm, I'm higher on Kendall Milton than a lot of people are. Uh, he put up some 40-yard dash times. It kind of scares some people off. But I, I really like his footwork, the, the power, the balance of the table. He's a good receiver at the backfield. I think Kendall Milton's going to be a really good player. So he has a chance. Uh, James Cook, um, I don't know. I think the jury's still out on James Cook. Kenny McIntosh. Jury's still out there. I don't know if we've seen enough of Kenny McIntosh. I've liked what I've seen from him, but I don't know if I've seen enough to say, yeah, he's a Nick Chubb, Sweeney, Michelle, DeAndre Swift caliber back. So you're right. I don't know if we have that guy on campus right now. But is Dominic Edwards, Kurt, in your mind, is he that caliber of a guy at running back? I think he is, yeah. I think the I staff think has settled too. on him. Yeah, I, I think he is too. Uh, I, I do. I think. And he, as good as a Marius Mims or however you say it, 
Um, we still have some really good options. I mean, you've already got Micah Morris committed. You have Roger Jones will be coming in as a freshman. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and you still have Tate Ratledge and people like that. So I, st- I think that we have guys who can do the job with the offensive line. I think that we just need a difference maker, the running back position. That to me, you just boiled it down um, perfectly. I think that's what it comes down to. I think it comes down to, because I, I, I think Dom Edwards is a really, really good player. I think Amarius Mims is a, is a top 10 future first round draft pick. I think, I think, I think that's what he is. I think he's that good. Like his body, his athleticism, it's off the charts. I think he's almost, I, I don't like to use the phrase can't miss because there's no such thing as a can't miss prospect. Anybody could miss. There's so many factors that go, that go into these things, but man, he's, he's, he's one of those that gets close to that. Um, he's a really, really good prospect at the tackle left tackle position. So I think he's uh so it comes down to like, who's the better prospect versus Who's the bigger need? And I'm with you. I think right now, Dominic Edwards is a bigger need because, yeah, I think I'm really – all things I said about uh, Mims, I, I could say the same things about Roderick Jones. I, I really could. I, I think he's that kind of guy too at left tackle. You say Tate Ratledge at tackle as well. Um, there's a number of guys. I mean, we could play Jamari Salyer. I, I don't think – I mean, in a crunch, I think he's a better guard. He could play tackle. Uh, Xavier Trust could play tackle. McClendon could play tackle. Like we've got some guys that can do it. We and we have some running, some good solid running backs. I just don't know if we have that next Chubb, Michelle Swift type guy. Yeah, I, I, and there's some, there's some potential candidates. If Zeus comes back healthy, yes, Kendall Milton has a chance. We just haven't seen them in college yet. We don't know. Um, and I, I think Diamond Ed, Edwards' tape, haven't seen him in person, but his tape in high school is better than what I saw from Kendall Milton. Kendall Milton, I really I really liked his tape as well. I think he's gonna be, can be a really good player. I think Edwards is maybe a notch above that. So. I think I'm I'm gonna go with you here. I think I'm gonna go Edwards. I think Mims probably the long term better player, be the higher draft pick in the NFL down the road. But right now, I think based off need, Edwards might be a bigger need. Uh, all right, next up, uh, as we all well know, the coronavirus dropped a nuclear warhead on the spring sports calendar. It just did. Uh, and the Masters Golf Tournament was one of the many spring sporting events that was wiped out, at least as originally scheduled, I guess. But the Masters, which we all know. I mean, it's the preeminent annual uh, PGA Tour event. They they did announce several weeks ago the tournament's going to be held from November 12th to November 15th this year. It's going to be a fall tournament, which got a lot of people excited about the novelty of that concept. Yeah, it is. It's kind of cool uh, to have the Masters different time of year. And, and given that the tournament is held in the state of Georgia, obviously a lot of dog fans make it out there, or I should say they at least try to make it out there every year. It's tough to get a badge. Um and like there's just a lot of Georgia Bulldog Masters tournament fandom overlap, a lot of crossover there. And normally there's no conflict between the two. But this year is going to be different because Georgia, I don't know if you guys have looked at the calendar yet, I know a lot of you probably have, but if you haven't, we have a home football game against Tennessee on November 14th, the Saturday of this year's Masters. Now, depending on the time of that game, it's potentially feasible that you could attend part of both events. But Kurt, let's just say for the sake of this, uh, this show, let's say that Georgia Tennessee football game ends up being a three thirty game in Athens. So in this scenario occurs, you have tickets to the Georgia game versus Tennessee and you lucked out this year and you win the master's lottery and get badges for Saturday's round. So Kurt, take your pick Saturday at the master's. Or Georgia, Tennessee, and Athens. Um, I'm going to go to the Masters just because, unless you're able, to, one of those people that can get it year in year out, it's uh, one of those opportunities that it's it's almost like that Notre Dame trip where you went to once in a lifetime. Like it, it's just almost too hard to pass up if you actually enjoy golf and appreciate what the Masters is. As much as I love Georgia football and 
everything like that. I just think that sometimes there's things where you look back like at the end of your life. And if that's, if that was your only chance, you kind of do regret not going. Yeah. And this is a totally subjective one. So like, there's, I don't think there's a, a right or wrong answer here. I really don't. This is maybe the most objective question we've got here. Uh, Cause it really kind of just co- does come down to preference. Uh, I get what you're saying. Like for a lot of people, this is a once in a lifetime kind of thing. It's a bucket list kind of deal. It is. Is it that way for you, Kurt? Are you that into it? Um, yeah, I do. I, I enjoy golf and I appreciate everything to what the Masters really is. Um, and I, I mean, like I said, you don't get to go to something like that very often unless you, you're one of those that gets a ticket to your any out. So I think it's just you appreciate it even more. Yeah, and I totally get that argument. I'm, I, I can't fault anyone for having that that uh, that take on it because you're right. You, you compare it to Notre Dame. I've said before in the show many times, like going to Notre Dame for me, I dropped a lot of money for that trip. Um, and I do not regret it for a second. I would have killed my, I mean, I would have totally, I would regret it right now if I had never gone to that. And think about how that game turned out. I mean, and just knowing what the experience was, that was a once in a lifetime thing for me. Um, and that was, and, you know, Georgia football is just about the biggest thing in my life. So yeah, that made sense for me. And I, but it might not have been a once in a lifetime thing for everybody. Not everyone necessarily saw it that way. I did. And so I was willing to invest the money and time and, and all that stuff into it. Um, so again, yeah, I think this is the most objective question today because it's just based on personal preference. And uh, it's just kind of whatever works for you. And so it's not really a right or wrong answer. But for me, and this is just me, the crazy person that I am, this is a no-brainer. I will be in Athens November 14th, sitting inside Sanford Stadium, if I'm allowed to, come hell or high water. Uh, for me, personally, fall Saturdays are for Georgia football. That's it. It's that simple for me. And I understand, Kurt, I totally get what you're saying. Man. I'm not trying to say you're wrong or anything like that. You're not wrong. Uh, I understand the Masters is a bucket list thing for a lot of people. Like my dad would, he would, he might give his right arm to go to the Masters for one afternoon. Uh, it, it's just not for me. And I like golf. And I like, and I should, in, in full disclosure, like I do watch the Masters. Usually, what here's what, how I usually do the Masters. I, uh, I keep track of it Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Usually from a distance, like on my phone, I might watch a couple holes here and there, check in, see how some of the top guys are doing, see what Tiger's doing, because everyone always wants to know what Tiger's doing. And then Saturday, I'll probably turn it on like the the back nine of the final group or the leaders, whatever it might end up being. That's usually kind of how I like, – for like when Tiger had his big win, what was it? It was last year, right, Kurt? His yeah. comeback win. You know where I was on Sunday when he won? I was, in the oh, Hopkins, I was in the Lindsay Hopkins indoor tennis facility watching the Georgia women's tennis team play. That's what I was doing. And I was keeping track of what Tiger was doing on my phone, on ESPN's app. That's what I was doing. So that kind of gives you probably an idea of where golf is on my sports totem pole. It's not that high up there. I do. I enjoy it like you, but it's just not like, it's not a, it's just not a bucket list thing for me. I know it is for a lot of people. And I'm not trying to kill anyone who, who, who feels that way. Cause that's, that's great. Um, it's just not for me, but there's just no way that I would miss a second of a Georgia football game for the masters. Uh, a piece of my soul would die if I did. Uh, but I am a really, really weird person, um, uh, a very special person in, in some ways. So I'm pro- I know I'm in the minority here. I know I am, but that's just kind of where I would go with it. But uh, anyway, moving on here. Let's go. Uh, next one here. So, Kurt, assuming there is a 2020 season, and for the sake of this show, that's what we're doing here. We're all about optimism. We're going to be working in yet another number one ranked recruiting class this year. The incoming 2020 class is stacked. 
with six players ranked as five-star prospects by at least one of the two major recruiting services, whether it's Rivals or 247, and 11 players ranked inside the 247 composite top 100. So if Tennessee thinks they have a great recruiting class this year, uh, yeah, still not in the big big leagues yet, guys. Just not. Uh, so there are a number of different prospects in this 2020 class that are going to come in with a chance to earn a starting spot. Like, I mean, that's just the way it is now with Kirby Smart. We recruit at a high level, so these guys can come in and earn a starting spot. But I want to spotlight two players in particular in this 2020 class, Kurt. So, Curtis, take your pick. Which of the following is a true freshman more likely to earn a starting job at some point in 2020? I'm going to give you Marcus Rosemi, wide receiver Marcus Rosemi, or offensive tackle Broderick Jones. More likely to earn a starting job as a freshman. I think I'm going to go with Broderick Jones. You're going – okay, why Broderick? Um, Because I think that wide receiver is a position where you rotate so much that – I mean, you saw it with Kirby times where he'd put uh, Tyler Simmons and people like that out there to start. Um, just because they're like that senior in them, even because like it could be just one play, a blocking play for every, anything you know. Um, but offensive line is a different animal. I, so you're basically saying, as if you win the, if you play, if you're good enough to play, you're going to start on the offensive yeah. line. You're going to rotate in. Okay, I get, what you're, I get, I get, I didn't think about it that way. I get what you're saying though, because you're right. We rotate so much, and so it rose me. Even if he's ready to contribute, he might not like like Pickens didn't start right away last year, right? Yeah. Okay, that, I get what you're saying. Um, hmm. Okay. I didn't think about that way, but that's fair. Here's what I was thinking. Especially if there's not many other guys that can as good on the offensive line position where we put such an emphasis on our O-line. Right. Um, that's why. And I think there is a, t- a potential hole at tackle. I think we're really good at, at, on the, at the interior position. I think we're almost – Well, and I there. also believe Kirby – I think he got frustrated with how much rotation there was last year on the yeah. offensive line, uh, know, play in, play out series, every series and stuff. That South Carolina game was ridiculous, what we were doing. It was ridiculous. I'm not saying that's why we lost that game, but it really didn't help. I'll say that. Uh, man, okay. You know what? Here, here's – I get what you're saying. I, I like what you're saying and, and where your mind went with this one. Here's what I was thinking. I, I went with Marcus Rosenby because – and the reason was – because I think it's easier to come in and make an impact at wide receiver. You have to, like, you are going into grown men in the trenches in the SEC if you're coming in. And to be 18, 19 years old and to be, able, and to be equipped to do that, that's asking a lot. Some guys can do it, but those guys are few and far between. There are very few Andrew Thomases out there. And even Andrew Thomas. Well, that's the thing. I don't think Broderick Jones is nowhere the technician that Andrew Thomas was from day one. To me, he's I, a I lot more similar that. to Isaiah Wilson. I agree. Uh, I think he's a, his body type's a little different than Isaiah, but I think in terms of his yeah, brain, but like the, the, the yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. raw, and yeah, that's where yeah, the most yeah, yeah, I mean, he's a big time basketball player. I mean, he really, like, legitimately, like a very good looking basketball player for his size. Uh, I really like Roger Jones, man. I think long term, Roger Jones, again, if you're talking about in a future NFL draft, like I think Roger Jones has taken higher than Rosen. But. And there's needs at, at both spots. That's why that's why I put these guys in here. I think there's a need at wide receiver, for, and there's an opportunity for a freshman to come in and make an impact and potentially start. And I think there's an, an opportunity to tackle, whether it's left or right tackle, for a true freshman like Roger Jones, a highly ranked five-star to come in and potentially start. I think there's an opportunity there. That's why I chose both these both these players. Like Daniel Carter, I think, might be the best player in the class, but there's not as much opportunity at defensive tackle as there is in those other spots. 
So I'm going to go with Marcus Rosen because I think it's easier to come in and make an impact at wide receiver. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier. We saw we saw Pickens do it last year. Again, not right away, but eventually he did become a starter in our lineup. Um, and I'm not I'm not counting out Broderick Jones. I think it's I think he'll get every shot in the world. I think he'll get a strong look, especially considering the fact that we had no spring practice. And those guys, um, so like let's say like Xavier Trust of Warren McClendon, those guys that were ahead of him, yes, they have a year ahead of him, but they didn't get the spring practice this year to kind of cement themselves with a new offensive line coach. It's still going to be pretty wide open with a brand new offensive line coach. So that is an, that is another kind of feather in Broderick Jones' cap here in this argument, saying he might potentially have a shot there because it's kind of wide open with a new offensive line coach. I just think it's tough. It's just tough, and it's rare for a guy to come in and be a, a, an impact starter right away along the offensive line. You're just going against grown men. It's tough. It's, it's been done. I'm not saying it can't be done. It's just, to me, it's easier to count on a wide receiver to do that than an offensive lineman. But I see where, I see where your mind was. I actually like your thinking there. Uh, okay, okay, next up, moving on here. We all know uh, if the 2020 season is played as scheduled, we are making our first trip to Tuscaloosa since 2007. Curtis, do you – get a little trivia time for you. Do you know – how that game ended in Tuscaloosa last time we were we were up there. I over believe there. it was either first down and 10 uh, pass to Mikey Henderson for 25 yards. Boom. Yes, sir. Who was the quarterback? Matt Stafford. Boom. All right, sir. I didn't, know you, I didn't know if you'd get that. Well done. Well done. Yeah, Matt Stafford hits Mikey Henderson in the end zone on our very first snap in overtime to beat the Tide in Nick Saban's first year, by the way. Um, there was all, so that's – that's obviously a huge game. The fact that we're going to Tuscaloosa again for the first time in nearly 15 years. But Kurt, as big as that game is, and as highly anticipated as it is, is it more important than this year's edition of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party? Take your pick. At Alabama or this year's cocktail party is the more important game. I was actually talking to someone about that today. I actually think the world's the cocktail is the biggest game this year. Yeah, and I, I only say that because realistically, I was thinking about this. Say you lose to Alabama um, and you run the table, you're more than likely playing Alabama again. I think that that game is actually one of the least important games of the season because I think either you, even if you win it, there's still a high possibility that you're playing Alabama twice because I don't know who in the West is really going to compete with Bama when they get Georgia, Texas A&M, and Auburn at home. Um, so I think it's more important to win the Florida game for us in the long run than it is to uh, win the Alabama game. I agree with you. Here's what I would add to that. I totally agree with what you're saying there. I think we would have to be, probably be Alabama twice. I think they're the odds on favor this year to win the West. LSU is going to be good, but they're going to take a – they lost so much. They're going to take a step back. They're yeah, so and, really I, and I just don't – and it's hard enough to beat Alabama once, so beating them twice where I think right. you have to win the Florida game to secure the East and give yourself a fighting chance in the – SEC yeah. championship. And I don't think Auburn's there yet. Uh, A&M is a team to watch out for. I'm highly intrigued by A&M. But the fact that they get both of those at home is what right. I think right. you give Alabama right. the favor right there. Right, right, exactly. So I think they're the they're, – I'm not saying they're going to win. I think they're the, they got to be the favorite right now. But here's what I would add to that, this whole scenario. Yeah, uh, the Alabama game is important for a lot of reasons. It's important for recruiting, from a national narrative standpoint, all of those things. It's an important game. I'm not trying to discount that game. It's very important. And if we lose that game, our margin for error is absolutely zero if we want to win the SEC East. We have to win out. Like, we have, we cannot lose another SEC game. Have to. Um, but here's the thing. If we beat Alabama and lose to Florida, we're not winning the East. But – because Florida's schedule is – have you looked at their schedule this year, Kurt? 
It's very easy. It's ridiculous, man. I mean, as far as I mean, no SEC schedule is easy. It's all relative, but as far as SEC schedules go, I mean, I don't want to use the word cakewalk, but it's 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 a much easier path to get there than than we've seen in the SEC in years past. So I think if we even if we beat Alabama, we still have to beat Florida. Because if we beat Alabama and lose to Florida, I I mean, they had the tiebreaker ahead of us. I don't think we're going to win the East in that scenario. I just don't. But on the flip side, I think we can lose the Alabama game. If that's the only SEC game we lose and we still beat Florida, it doesn't matter. We're go- even, even if Florida's only losses to us, we had the tiebreaker. We're going to Atlanta. So to me, that, that's what it comes down to. Yes, Alabama is important. That's an important, all SEC games are important. That's an important game for a lot of reasons. But the Florida game is just more important. Because you and I, we said last week, we think Florida's going to be the, our top competition this year in the East. I think that's pretty clear. I think we're still clearly better than Florida. We'll get into that later in the in the in the in the summer. But I think this year they're our, our top competition, and their schedule sets up very nicely for them. So we have to win that game, regardless of what happens in Tuscaloosa. We have to win that game, whether we win or lose in Tuscaloosa. If we beat Florida, we're going we're going to Atlanta, and that's what it comes down to. Me. So yeah, I'm with you. I think the cocktail party yet again will be the biggest game on the schedule. I, I believe it. All right, okay, next up, we had a number of players from our 2019 class uh, make an impact last season. A lot of guys out there. But I do want to focus on two former five-star defensive players in particular that, uh, that definitely contributed last year, but maybe didn't make a huge splash in the national scene. And that's outside linebacker Nolan Smith and defensive tackle Trayvon Walker. So, Kurt, of those two former five-star rising sophomores, who is more likely to break out and become a household name on the national scene in 2020? I'm going to go Trayvon Walker, and I think that's just because we're rebuilding a lot of the depth on the defensive line, so there's going to be a lot of opportunities for him to go out there and make a name for himself. Where Nolan, I still think he's probably our best outside linebacker, but he's going to be sharing time with, I think, someone who's going to take a big step forward this year is going to be Jermaine Johnson. So he's going to be sharing snaps with Jermaine Johnson, Adam Anderson, and Aziz Ojolari. Yeah. Uh, I actually agree with you on this. I thought I, I thought you might go Nolan because um, he was the number one recruit coming out of high school in 2019. And Nolan, don't get me wrong, I am not down on Nolan Smith. I think Nolan's going to be a monster by the time it's all, his career is said and done in Athens. I think he's going to be a monster. And that could be as early as this year. It would not shock me at all. But you're right. When you're talking about Nolan Smith, we rotate a lot at that position. And a lot of t- honestly, in our uh, let's be real, our base defense is not like the old idea of a base three four, like where it's almost like a bare front. Like we don't see that very often. Our our base is is essentially become what we call like a mint front. I and mean, we'll get into that later in the offseason and do some X and O's talk. But we play a four down front more often than not. We only have one linebacker, one outside linebacker in the game. Very rarely do we have two inside linebackers in the game and like what amounts to essentially an old school bare front. We don't see that very often. So there's just not going to be – and we rotate those guys based on situation. We're rotating in and out. And, and, and so I don't know if no one's going to get the opportunities. Whereas Walker – and we rotate on the defensive line too. Don't get me wrong. We do. But what I think might give Walker the edge this year is his versatility. He can play all across that defensive line. Whereas Nolan, I mean, he's an outside linebacker. And he can come in and play – he can play – he plays the run well. He can rush the passer well. He can even drop into coverage. I mean, he's a great athlete. He can do a lot of things. He's got, he's got some versatility too. But Walker's a guy that can play the five technique. Um, he can play the three technique. He can play the zero technique in, in pass rushing situations. He can play – he can stand up if you had him to. He could, there's so much this guy can do that I think – and we started to unleash him a little bit towards the end of last year. He wasn't as – like Noah was a more of a factor early on, 
I think Walker became a bigger factor later on the season. I mean, think about the, the Auburn game, right? That that game clinching tackle, that, that sack, right? I mean, Trayvon Walker is a beast. He's a be- they're, they're both beasts in the making. Uh, I just think that we might have. I, I think Walker might have more opportunities this year to do some of those things that might make him a household name. I honestly wouldn't shock me if both of them became household names. I wouldn't be shocked at all. because I think they're both that good. But I think you're right. I think Nolan just got a little bit more competition and there's going to be more rotation going on there. I think there's more that we can do with Walker. At, I don't know. There's We can do so much with Nolan too. I mean, Nolan can do so many different things. Um, but I just think Walker might have more of an opportunity right now. But you could like someone can make the argument convince me that Nolan might be the right answer. But I'm, I'm going to go with you, Kurt. I'm going to go with Walker as well. And that brings us to our next question. Now, this is an interesting one, Kerr. Uh, I'm curious to see what you say on this one. So our rivals, of course, this is what they're going to do. They're, they're going to say these things, which is fine. It's to be expected. But even some of the national media, like they, they made a lot of the loss of offensive line coach Sam Pittman, obviously heading over to Arkansas to be their head coach. And, and the thought is in some circles that our offensive line recruiting and development has just got to take a hit with Sam Pittman gone. And, and since the offensive line has been such a key part of our explosion onto the national scene over the past few years, well, that means the loss of Sam Pittman is a major blow for our program. I think that's the general thinking among, obviously, our rivals, but even some of the national media out there. However, what they conveniently fail to mention, or at least gloss over, is that, yeah, while we may have lost, I think you could argue that Sam Pittman was our best coaching asset on the offensive side of the ball. I think you made that argument. We also got rid of the anchor that was weighing the ship down in James Coley. People just conveniently forget to mention that. So, Kurt, let's just do some basic math here. Take your pick. Does the loss of Sam Pittman plus the addition of Todd Munkin equal a net gain or a net loss? I say net gain because, I mean, Matt Luke came in and did a heck of a job locked down Tate Ratledge. He didn't lose a single guy that we really cared about. Yeah, Braun went to Florida, but they could have him. Um, the biggest things was keeping yeah. Ratledge and Jones, and that's exactly what he did. And that was against guys who had um, been – I mean, he didn't really have a relationship like them where he competed against Auburn and Tennessee and things like that who had openly been recruiting these guys for a long time and had built relationships with them, and yet he still went head-to-head with them and held them off and won. And um, we got people that remember he's some people that, you know, developed uh, uh, the – Greg Little? Yeah, some of the people from Ole Miss, including yeah, uh, the Little or whatever. Greg, Greg Little. Yeah, Little. Um, so I think that that's a very undervalued thing. I mean, we're already starting off good. We're in good position with the Marius Mims. We're, we already landed Micah Morris. Um, so I think that it's a joke to say, I mean, it's going to fall back because you're already seeing us recruiting at a high level on the offensive line. Um, but then also throwing the fact that you got rid of James Coley and replaced with Tom Munkin, who has a lot more recognition and um, – people vouch for him a lot better than what we saw with James Coley, I think it's a net gain because I think, I mean, at worst, it's a little bit of a, a loss losing Sam Pittman, but it's no way. But I think the getting Tom Munkin pushes it so much farther ahead yes. that it's a net gain. Yes, I, I agree with that. It's a, to me, it's a net gain here. I, I'm not like, if someone wants to say that Sam Pittman is a better recruiter and a better offensive line coach than Matt Luke, like I'm not going to fight you, fight you to the death on that. But no, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue it because I think Pittman's a great guy. Uh, a great but it's coach. not like I don't. I don't think that Matt. It's not a massive drop off. in any aspect. Yeah, exactly. Here's what I would say because um, you did a, gr- a really great job summing that up. I don't want to to just repeat what you said, but I would say the gap between Sam Pittman and Matt Luke is so much smaller than the gap between James Coley and Todd Monkey. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. 
That's, yeah, and that's, that's why I said I think for, the net gain. Yeah, like like we might take a slight step back with Matt Luke versus Sam Pittman. I I, I don't know that I, that that's guaranteed. I don't know that that's sure. I think that still remains to be seen, but it's certainly possible. This Pitt was a great recruiter. Uh, the players loved him. We all, we know that. Like it was it was incredible. I mean, I know it was it was Arkansas propaganda now, um, clearly, but it was still cool to see him. I don't know if you saw the the videos on social media when uh when Wilson and Thomas got drafted in the first round and how, how excited he was and called them up. And I, I know obviously that's Arkansas is kind of playing it up for their own benefit, but still it's nice to see. And you can tell his players love him. So. I, I I mean, if you if you want to say Sam Pittman's a better coach and recruiter than than Matt Luke, okay, I, I, I potentially give you that. But again, I just don't think it's that big of a gap at all. I don't I don't think there's a massive drop off. Whereas I think the gap between what Todd Mung has done, his track record as offensive coach, versus James Foley's track record, I mean, we're, it's not even the same stratosphere. It's just not. So I think because of that, it's a net gain. And you can call me a homer if you want, but I mean, look at this subjectively. Todd Munkin put up. One of the best offenses in the in the NFL the year when he was with when he was coaching the Buccaneers when he was offensive coordinator. I think that's the top passing offense in the league that year. With like Ryan Fitzpatrick as a starting quarterback for most of the year. And like the ultimate journeyman quarterback. Whereas, I mean, James Coley got fired as the offensive coordinator of Miami. I I, I just I mean, look, there's there's just no comparison there. So that's why I'm going that game. I, I just think there's a bigger gap there between what Munkin is. I mean, the the game we get from him is much greater than what we're losing when we lose Sam Pittman, in my opinion. All right, and for our last question today, we're going to get out of here uh, on a fun note. We're going to have some fun with this last question. On our last show, we took Seth Emerson's Georgia fan quiz. Uh, and if you haven't listened to that episode, we had a lot of fun doing that. So check that one out. It was, it was, I think it was a pretty good show. It was fun. Um, and one of the questions we discussed dealt with uniform changes. And we actually got quite a bit of feedback on the uniform topic. So uh, I figured we'd expand on it here today because, man, there's, there's not much gets people fired up like uniforms. Uh, people get fired. And I do. T- I'll include myself in that. My wife would tell you that, like, I am a uniform freak because, like, I'll just – like, when I'm watching a football game, I'll make comments about their uniforms left and right. She's like, are you not actually watching the game? I'm like, yeah, I am. But you got to notice uniforms. So, Kurt, two changes that both of us agreed on was that, one, we need to wear black jerseys once a year, and, two – we need to get rid of the new age numerical font and go back to classic block numbers. You, you and I both agreed on that. So Kurt, and we actually got some feedback on both those. So that's why I'm, that's why I'm putting this one up here. So Kurt, if you could only pick one uniform change and you had to be stuck with the one that you don't change for the rest of your life, what are you changing? Black jerseys once a year or old block numbers? I jerseys once a year because I can live with as much as the block numbers aren't my favorite thing. I can live with them where I still think that we need to have the black jerseys because it creates some excitement. Changing the block numbers is not going to create any excitement in the recruiting ranks. I agree. I see. It. I agree with you. I I don't think the block number. I, I don't think that our number, our numerical font, even registers with most of the recruits. So let's be real. It's been so. I think it was the 2013 year was the first yeah, year. Yeah, and like a lot of these kids don't know. They don't, they don't that remember what we looked like before. They notice uh, not wearing a black jersey. Yeah, they they all they know is like the the font that we have now is just Georgia's number font. They don't know anything different. Um and I, I do agree. I think you have to look at from two perspectives. The recruiting perspective and the, and the germinating excitement, all of that, I think you have to look at that. I think the black jerseys would certainly win if that was the argument. But again, this is a personal preference thing. It's about as personal of a preference as it gets. I, I love the black jerseys. I think they're incredibly good looking, and I would love for us to wear them at least once a year. I've said it many, many times. I think it's ridiculous that we don't wear them, 
But like our red jerseys are still great. Our uniforms are still classic and beautiful and awesome. But man, those freaking numbers are it, it's embarrassing to me. Like I, I know I, sh- I, I that's I know that's ridiculous, but they're so cartoonish, man. Like it's just I can't like it. Like I look at our uniforms, like oh man, the uniforms look so great. And I look at the numbers, I kind of focus on the numbers. I'm like oh my god, oh god, it just no. It makes me like want to vomit just looking at those numbers. So I actually. If I had to pick one, I would go back with the old block numbers and never wear the black jerseys. If, if, if you told me we could, go, we could have the old block numbers and never wear black jerseys, I'd go with that. Uh, as much as I love the black jerseys, I just, man, the, the, the numbers got to go. I want to start a revolution, man. We got to get rid of those numbers. I know most of you out there are probably like saying, what is this guy talking about? You probably don't even notice it. But for me, it's just like it drives me insane. Cannot stand it. But um, all right. That's it, guys. That does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. As always, we really appreciate you guys supporting the show, especially this whole coronavirus pandemic and everything that's going on. Um, more than ever, we need you guys' support, and you guys have, have stuck with us, so we really, really do appreciate that. And uh, we appreciate everyone who's rated and reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't yet, no big deal. If you get a chance, it would be awesome. We'd really appreciate that. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs.